Welcome to Evidence-Based, a new Harbinger Psychology podcast. We're your hosts, Cassie and Kendall. On today's episode, we're talking about relationship rumination. We're joined by Alicia Munoz, a certified couples therapist and author of three relationship books. Over the past 15 years, she has provided individual, group, and couples therapy in clinical settings, including Bellevue Hospital in New York, New York. Munoz currently works as a couples counselor in private practice. She connects with her readers and followers through monthly blogs, newsletters, podcasts, and radio shows, as well as through her Instagram at Alicia Munoz Couples and her Facebook and Twitter accounts at Alicia Munoz LPC. Munoz is a member of the Washington School of Psychiatry, the American Psychological Association, and the Mid-Atlantic Association of Imago and Relationship Therapists. She is also an expert contributor to Psychotherapy Networker, Mind Body Green, and other print and online magazines. You can learn more about her at www.aliciamunoz.com. Welcome to Evidence Based, Alicia. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's great to be here. Hi, Alicia. So we thought we'd start with uh, just, you know, setting the scene. Can you talk about what is relationship rumination? Rumination, uh, general rumination, is obsessive overthinking about uh, an individual, a choice, an idea, or a situation that interferes with one person's healthy functioning. And relationship rumination is the same, only it interferes with the healthy functioning of an intimate partnership. So I like to think about rumination as kind of like a unicycle. You ride it by yourself mostly, it affects mostly you. If you know you have poor weight distribution or you 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 hit a, a stone and fall off, it's really something that mostly affects you. But with relationship rumination, it's more of a tandem bicycle, meaning that if one person is off track or gets triggered or upset, uh, you're actually both going to be affected by it. And as we're talking about rumination showing up in a relationship. Could you give us an example of how that might present itself and how it can be damaging to that dynamic? One common example that I think a lot of us can relate to is, for example, your partner hasn't called you for a few hours and maybe you're in an ongoing relationship or maybe you're dating, you've been together a few months and you're looking at your phone. There are no texts, there's no voice messages. And it's very easy to get into a kind of uh, overthinking cycle where you're wondering, what are they doing? Why haven't they called me? They're not thinking about me. Am I even important to them? And from, from those thoughts, you might start to have a feeling of anger or sadness. And maybe you go and you check their social media. You notice, oh, wow, they've posted on somebody else's feed and yet they're not calling me. And from there, you can continue to spin these thoughts of, you know, they don't have time for me, yet they have time for other people. And depending on a lot of different factors, you could even start to worry and wonder, you know, is this relationship going to last? Can I trust them? Your partner calls you a couple hours later and say, hey, how you doing? You know, I missed you. What's up? How was your day? And that, that rumination that you've been engaging in all day can, can start to impact how you respond to them. 
you might be cold, you might be rejecting. And so you can imagine, you know, if that's going on all the time under the surface, it can have a very damaging impact on a couple. So why is relationship rumination often overlooked as a couple's problem? And why is it important for clinicians to look at it through the lens of a couple instead of just the individual dealing with it? Rumination is often overlooked as a couple's problem because it happens inside one person's head, typically. Uh, And yet, if you're in a relationship, you're in a relationship field. So you're in this larger field where both of your individual thought processes are, are actually the beginning of the chain of larger issues. So you know, we tend to identify behaviors or crises or um, problems that occur in communication with a couple as their problem, but it's less likely that we'll say, well, it's what I think about you is, is actually our problem. You know, what I think about our relationship is a collective problem. So it's important to look at overthinking as a couple's problem, because seeing it through that couple lens can help partners take responsibility for their thinking and catch it at the root so that they can can really change how they think before their thinking causes bigger problems in their relationship. And as we're mentioning the root, I wanted to, to get your opinion or your thoughts on why do we tend to overthink our relationships? What, what's at the root of that? Yeah, well, we feel often unconsciously threatened in relationships. Uh, I mean, relationships are sources of such tremendous pleasure and joy and connection. And on the flip side, they're also sources of such deep pain and fear and anxiety. So because of that, we're frequently triggered in relationships, you know, something that our partner says, something that our partner does, or something they don't say or don't do can flip a switch in our limbic system and our amygdala signals danger. And we can, can go into this sometimes very subtle fight, flight, or freeze response, even just a tone of voice or um, a passive aggressive comment can lead us to start overthinking. Overthinking itself is often a defense against our own feelings of vulnerability in a relationship. So we, we think to reduce our fear, to reduce our dis- discomfort, and to try to regain a sense of control. So I want to ask a little bit about attachment styles and how they come into play with rumination. And I wanted to know if there's one you know, attachment style that is maybe more susceptible to this kind of rumination. Yeah. So it's important to consider attachment styles when you're, you're challenging your own ruminative thinking, because attachment styles influence how we think, how we interpret our partner's behaviors, um, and how, how we respond to our partners. They influence what feels safe to us and what feels dangerous to us. So if we don't examine our own attachment styles and and have some understanding of our partners, then we we might develop a really unhealthy view of what love is or what healthy interactions are with a partner. So there's, 
you know, in, in a nutshell, when it comes to attachment styles, there are generally three. There's secure attachment, where you trust the ebb and flow of closeness and distance with your partner. There's anxious attachment, which is where you distrust separation. You fear that even small separations are threatening or could lead to abandonment. And there's avoidant attachment where closeness feels threatening and you're scared that you're going to be engulfed or, um, or, or your partner is going to kind of take over. So when, when, we, when we view our partner's needy or distancing behaviors as threatening, then we, res- we respond or we react either with shutting down, with acting out, or with overthinking. And, you know, you asked why it's important to understand our attachment styles. Part of it is so that we can be skeptical of our own reactions and be able to identify, well, I have a tendency toward an anxious attachment style. So, you know, I wonder if, if I'm reacting from that style right now. So we've talked about why it's important to know what our attachment style is and our partners um, in, in order for us to understand each other and what we need in a relationship. But how could one determine their attachment style? What's the process for figuring that out? One way you can determine it is to just pay attention to the little moments that crop up between you and your partner. Uh, you know, you can notice if you tend to overthink or feel sad or feel threatened when your partner, you know, moves away from you on the couch, when they pull their hand away, Um, you can kind of pay attention to how it feels when your partner wants closeness or intimacy from you. Does that raise your anxiety level? And not just with your current partner, you can also take time to kind of journal about past partners and past relationships and notice if, if there's a pattern of avoidance when it comes to intimacy, or if there's a pattern of clinging behaviors, um, needy behaviors. And again, when you do this, it, it's important to do it without judgment. So in your book, uh, Stop Overthinking Your Relationship, you talk about the difference between being and thinking messages. Can you talk about what those are and why it is important to distinguish between the two? Sure. Are you open to doing a, a brief exercise? Are you, do you think this might be? Sure. Sure. <laughs> sure. So, so just taking a moment to kind of get grounded and settle into your body. And I'm going to read a list of messages and I'm going to ask you to just pay attention to whether or not these messages feel familiar to you or foreign. Just be. Stay with sensations. Notice what you feel. Trust the process. Accept all of yourself. Make space for what's arising. So just pay attention to whether those messages feel familiar, whether those are things that you've heard often in your life, in your family of origin, uh, in your place, your workplace, and just paying attention to how, how that felt to hear them. And now I'm going to read you a separate list of messages. Think before you act. 
Think ahead. Think before you speak. Think carefully. What were you thinking? Be thoughtful. Who do you think you are? Be rational. So here again, notice whether or not those messages felt familiar or foreign. So in my experience, being messages are are foreign to most people. We often hear about overthinking. We don't really hear about overbeing. So when you can recognize how saturated you are in thinking messages and how unusual it is to give yourself permission to be, to experience, to feel, to stay with an unfolding process, then you can be more intentional, more intentional in your life about uh, taking in being messages, giving yourself being messages, and especially in moments of stress or conflict. So I wanted to transition and talk a little bit about empathy. I think we're all aware of what empathy is, but I want to talk about it specifically as it pertains to its importance in a relationship and why that can kind of be the key to um, many different aspects of a successful relationship or partnership. Well, so much of our pain in relationships is about feeling separate, about feeling disconnected, alone, abnormal. And even the root of trauma and mental health disorders comes from this this space of feeling alone with overwhelming pain and overwhelming distress. Out of that aloneness and that overwhelm, we tend to generate painful stories like you can't trust people, you're not safe, you're not lovable, life isn't fair. And in a relationship, when you're able to get under the noise and the the static of your overthinking, you can connect with your, your humanity, your partner's humanity, and feel with them instead of thinking about them or judging them. Empathy, in that sense, builds a bridge between partners where you're undoing their aloneness and helping them dismantle a lot of these stories that aren't actually true. So empathy is a relational superpower. It's what helps us co-regulate in a relationship. I love what you said, feel with them. I think that's really powerful of the difference between, you know, thinking about them and feeling with them. So in your work, you use the SLOW method. Can you explain the acronym and how it's applied to relationship rumination? Sure. So this is a mnemonic, you know, obviously slow is a reminder to slow down and be present. Uh, the S in slow stands for C. This is pretty basic that if you can see your thoughts, then, then your thoughts aren't your reality. You're not submerged in them. If you're able to identify a thought and to say, I'm thinking, then you're already challenging the assumption that this thought is absolute truth. L stands for label. In this part of the process, you are identifying cognitive patterns. You're noticing which cycle you might be caught in. I've identified five cycles in my book, which are blame, control, worry, doubt, and self-pity. 
You can also identify what has triggered you and if this is a common trigger. Once you've begun to label different patterns or ways of thinking, you can then choose how you want to respond. You're no longer caught up in a reaction. The O in slow stands for open. And this is when you're able to drop under your defensive reaction of overthinking in this case and feel into your body. Notice your sensations. Notice any impulses that are there and and just be with that experience, however uncomfortable it is. W in slow, this stands for welcome. This is when you consciously approve of what you notice and and make space to, to integrate what you've buried, what you've denied or judged about yourself to allow it to become more of a part of your identity. So I, I think about relationship rumination as a symptom of an allergy that we've developed to our own vulnerability. And most of us know how immunotherapy is a treatment you can use to reduce allergic reactions to something by slowly building up a tolerance to the thing that you're allergic to. So slow is a process that can help reduce overthinking by helping you to get past your own blocks and open up to these uncomfortable inner experiences that we all tend to avoid. And Alicia, what are some ways that we can involve our partner in that slow process? Well, we can introduce them to the acronym and have them walk us through it jointly. We can, um, I mean, there are, there are exercises in the book that will help you go through the slow process both alone and separately and together with your partner. I think any conversation that you can have about these different steps uh, can really bring awareness, can help your partner kind of understand what you're doing. You know, if you're pausing during a moment of conflict, you're closing your eyes and you're kind of running through the acronym and just noticing, okay, I'm seeing my thoughts. Uh, I'm labeling this thought. I'm opening to this feeling that's underneath it. And I'm just going to you know, welcome it and allow it to be here. If you can let your partner know that that's what you're doing, uh, they can then support you. Earning your continuing education hours doesn't have to be a painful experience. The right course can open your mind to new possibilities, increase your confidence, and hand you powerful tools to transform your clients' lives. Praxis Continuing Education and Training teams up with some of the brightest minds in mental health to provide cutting-edge, evidence-based training for practitioners. You can learn firsthand from experts like Stephen C. Hayes, Kelly Wilson, Robin Walzer, Kirk Strausel, and many others. Find your next training at praxiscet.com. That's praxiscet.com. And as we're talking about bringing our partner into that process of the slow method, I have to assume that there's been a conversation about um, rumination or overthinking uh, in, in your relationship and in yourself. So I wonder what your opinion is about showing vulnerability in the relationship, because to share that information, you would have to be vulnerable with your partner. And, and why is that so powerful in a dynamic? Yeah, well, vulnerability is powerful because it's, it's truth. Um, you know, it, it's, 
truth is powerful in and of itself. And the more that we can connect with our own truth, the more we can then show that and share that with our partner. So going through, through slow, being able to kind of understand what's true for you is something that's going to then help you be more intimate with your partner. I can give you an example of this from my own marriage. Um, I think that might help clarify it. So recently, uh, my partner was acting distant and irritable, and this has been going on for several days. I felt like he was avoiding me or saying passive aggressive things. And so I started to overthink. He doesn't appreciate me. What am I doing? Why is he avoiding me? Uh, You know, this is unacceptable. I started to blame him. And as soon as I could notice my thoughts and take a moment to experience my feelings of, of hurt, I could invite him into a conversation and tell him what was going on for me so I could be vulnerable. And that then became an opportunity for him to tell me what was going on for him. And he shared that he was jealous because I had been developing a new friendship. And uh, he said he was feeling um, cast aside and ignored. And it was really hard for him to share that, but he had welcomed that feeling of jealousy. And because of that, he was able to share it with me. And I could see the truth of the situation. I could challenge my own stories about him. And this is what creates intimacy in partnerships, this ability to kind of go, go deeper and take some risks and share difficult things with your partner. I think that's a really good example of something that is probably hard to, to tell your partner when you're feeling that way, because it's easy to you know brush aside your own feelings and say, oh, I'm just overthinking that. That's silly. But to invite them in can only strengthen your relationship. So I appreciate the, the um, example there. In this work, uh, why is labeling your mental habits important? And can you give us an example of how someone might do that? Sure. Labeling mental habits immediately takes you out of passive thinking, where you're just kind of being dragged along by these thoughts that you're not even aware of. And it it, um, harnesses your metacognition skills. And metacognition is a healthy thinking strategy. So it's, it's part of what strengthens your inner observer, you know, your, your inner witness, why self observing ego, there are all these different names for that part of us. Uh, But when you can, when you can label mental habits and kind of come up out of being submerged in your own passive thinking, then you have a choice, then you have an option, you know, do I continue to believe what I'm thinking and assuming that it's the absolute truth? Or do I begin to look at alternate perspectives, alternate possibilities? And, and do I choose how I want to re- you know, respond in this situation? And as we kind of transition to a solutions-based conversation, I wanted to talk about, you mentioned in your book, three types of care and how they can be applied to your relationship. Can you tell us a little bit about the three types of care and why it's important to check in on those? Yeah. So in, in medicine, they talk about uh, preventive, palliative, and curative care. And 
you can think about these three types of care in a relationship as well, even though it's not about medical issues, it's more about connection and uh, emotions and um, communication. Preventive care in a relationship is really where you take the long view of your relationship. It's something you can start engaging in, even if you're in a new relationship, when you're in the romantic stage, you start to look at your patterns, you start to read books or go to therapy or learn about meditation or mindfulness, you know, explore the impact of, you know, your family of origin on you and on how you relate to your partner. So that's really preventive. It's, it's doing the things that you need to do to stay healthy in your relationship. Palliative care in a relationship is more when you start to see chronic issues, or you're starting to notice that, you know, you're disconnected or some of the ways that you cope with problems um, aren't helpful. And in that situation with, with palliative care in a relationship, it's really important to have a growth mindset to know that you're not going to be able to fix this quickly, but you can still be curious about what's happening. You can, you can be kind, you can be patient, you can shift your expectations of the relationship to where you're not looking for things to immediately improve or change, but you're really willing to kind of go through this longer process where you and your partner can evolve. Curative care in a relationship, I see this as when you have a problem that you actually can quickly, uh, effectively address with a certain communication style using speaker listener technique. I talk about that in my book or um, learning how to repair after a conflict. That is another skill that once you can really learn how to do that effectively, it has an, an immediate positive result. So along with these types of care, you also talk about anchoring as a tool. Can you talk about what that is and how it can be healing? So anchoring is used in a lot of different spiritual traditions, um, the Pasana meditation, Zen meditation, and it's something that can ground you and help calm the chatter in your mind, help you connect to your body, help you uh, tune into your sensations and be present. So anchoring is very healing in that it supports opening, it supports getting grounded in your, in your body and in your sensations. So um, yeah, it's really essential if you're looking to connect with your inner experiences. I really appreciate going back to talking about the different types of care, the, the references to medical care. And because I think a lot of us can, can easily relate that to our bodies with taking care of our relationships and kind of keeping in line with talking about medical references. In your book, you also mentioned the relationship first aid kit. Can you talk a little bit about what that is and how it can be used towards your relationship as well? So the relationship first aid kit, I use that as a metaphor because, again, it's so concrete, you know, and we've all been in situations where, you know, we've been injured and we haven't had the right the right medications or band-aids or gauze to take care of it in the moment. And it, one of the reasons that this book has so many 
practices and tools and exercises is so that readers can begin to test out and get to know what works for them, you know, what helps. Once you have explored that and sort of tried that out for yourself, a relationship first aid kit is where you take note, you write down what works. You have that as a mnemonic device to remind yourself, okay, this is what we did last time, or this is what helped me recognize my overthinking, or these are the cues that indicate that I'm kind of going off the rails right now. And, you know, it's there, it's on your fridge, it's in your wallet, it's, you know, it's taped to your bathroom mirror. It's something that you you can turn to. So that alone, just having a relationship first aid kit, just like just having a first aid kit can actually ease your nervous system and, and help you feel safer and feel like you're taking care of yourself and your partner. I think those two things are really important and having that that handy is probably it probably goes a long way for that that comfort feeling. Um, and as we start to wrap up, I wonder what advice you would give someone who's starting their journey to break this rumination cycle. Get the book, read the book. Uh, it's It's been written with you in mind. It's, it's written for overthinkers. And I think a lot of us fall into that category. And look at, begin to do the exploration to understand this, the, the psychological mechanics of your own mind and your own nervous system and your own body and feelings and attachment style. So get to know why you ruminate and and then you can begin to do this practice of slow uh, little by little you know a day at a time to begin to reduce your avoidance of of the parts of you that are uncomfortable are you know feel shameful and begin to share those things in your relationship to create more intimacy I think the the title of your book, Stop Overthinking Your Relationship, just says so clearly what everyone is struggling with. And I think going further and opening the portal to realizing that it could be relationship rumination is probably a really big breakthrough for people, not knowing, uh, you know, previously how what exactly the psychological mechanics, as you said, to their brain and, and what's causing that. Um, so I hope that this conversation in your book sheds some light on you know, what's at the core of those thoughts and, and how they can, how they can get effective help. Um, and as we wrap up, did you have any final thoughts uh, for our listeners? Yeah, I would kind of join with what you were just saying and, and take it, you know, a step further to even say that, that I hope that this book helps couples to see that they exist in a relationship field and in that field, they both have an impact and, and that can be overwhelming at times because you're like, oh, what am I responsible for this, you know, for this field? But it really is something that you co-create with your partner. So I think that's essential, especially in the time that we're living in to begin to see things more collectively and take more responsibility for the impact that our thoughts have on our our behaviors and our actions because that's how we're going to change how we behave in our relationships and how we behave in the world is to really start to look at 
the root of it all, which is what's going on in our skulls behind closed doors. That's so helpful. Thanks so much for joining us, Alicia. I think a lot of people will get good stuff from this interview and from your book, and we really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. In Stop Overthinking Your Relationship, certified couples therapist Alicia Munoz draws from cognitive behavioral therapy and mindfulness to offer an effective four-step approach to reduce rumination and change negative thinking patterns. By understanding your own unique attachment style, as well as your partner's, you'll learn how to communicate more effectively, meet each other's needs, and focus on what really matters in your relationship. This powerful blend of evidence-based psychology and practical guidance will help you overcome the unwanted thoughts and rumination that get in the way of trust and authenticity in your relationship. The book also includes individual and shared exercises so you can choose your own adventure by working with the techniques alone with your partner or using a combination of both. By practicing these exercises in this user-friendly book, you'll learn how to stop overthinking your relationship and discover a newfound sense of security, confidence, and wholeness, both as an individual and as part of a couple. Visit our website at www.newharbinger.com and use coupon code PODCAST25 to receive 25% off your entire order. New Harbinger Publications is an independent, employee-owned publisher of books on psychology, health, spirituality, and personal growth. For nearly 50 years, our evidence-based self-help books and pioneering workbooks have helped readers make positive changes to improve mental health and well-being. Founded by psychologists Matthew McKay and Patrick Fanning, New Harbinger is proud to be an employee-owned company. Our books reflect our core values of integrity, sustainability, compassion, and trust. Written by leaders in the field and recommended by therapists worldwide, New Harbinger books are practical, accessible, and provide real tools for real change. Join the New Harbinger Clinicians Club, a free membership club exclusively for mental health professionals. Sign up today and you'll receive a special welcome gift, 35% off all professional books, free client resources, free eBooks throughout the year, access to private sales, a subscription to our Quick Tips for Therapists email program, and more. Visit newharbinger.com slash clinicians club for more information. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love if you rated, reviewed, and subscribed to the show. And we hope you might share it with anyone who might benefit from the content. This podcast is not a substitute for counseling with a licensed provider.